Good morning, youth. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 today. I hope you guys can join me right now as we're going to spend the next 20 to 30 minutes in this text. Um, again, James, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, uh, the title of this message is Don't Play Favorites. Um, James is very practical in his teachings and in his letters right here. Um, as we've been learning all through chapter 1, there are so many different things that we can practically apply to our daily lives. And right here in this uh, text, it's no different. Uh, we're going to be learning to not play favorites and to not uh, have prejudice or discrimination or just favorites in general. Um, and the bad that leads uh, from that and that comes from that. Uh, so let's go ahead and read and then let's study it. James chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he for he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this morning, as we just looked at this text, we're going to be seeing how we as people, and specifically James is writing to Christians here, that we are not to play favorites or to have partiality, as James says. This reminds me of, you know, in school, and it's been a while since I've been in school, and some of you uh, are in school or <laughs> are not in school at the moment, but uh, I know that you remember. Uh, this goes with the example teacher's pet. You guys uh, remember teacher's pets? Uh, there was always one or two in the class, and uh, maybe that was you. Maybe it wasn't. More than likely, it wasn't. But if you were not the teacher's pet, uh, nobody liked the teacher's pet. And why was that? Well, it was because that kid was uh, shown partiality, because that kid was given favoritism. That kid uh, was uh, a step ahead just because of the way that somebody viewed them. And, and for us who weren't teacher's pets, it was uh, not fair. And worse than the teacher's pet is the actual teacher, because the actual teacher should not be having favorites. It goes the same with uh, our family. 
Some of us have been the object of partiality and favoritism, whether that was in school with a teacher or whether that was uh, with our employer at work or maybe it's at home with your mom and dad. And I hope that's not the case because we see in the Bible, we see in Genesis chapter 25 with um, Isaac and Rebekah, how they love their children uh, differently in the sense of they had favorites. And we saw how jacked up that family became. And I don't think it was just because of that reason, but a lot of it stemmed from the father having a favorite and the mother having a favorite. Genesis chapter 25, verse 28 says, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see that Isaac uh, favored Esau over Jacob and then Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. And what, that, what happens with that is there's contentions, there's bitterness, there's a lot of selfishness that comes from us having partiality and us having favorites. So you have probably been the object of that. You have probably also been discriminated. You know, maybe it was for how you looked, your height, your weight, your complexion, your hair. Maybe it was based on your intelligence or your lack of intelligence, your race, your religion, your gender. There are so many different ways that we can be discriminated, some more than others and some having more weight than others. But my question to you is, how did that make you feel? You probably have been bearing the scars and the hurt from those encounters, from those interactions, even to today. And it's a huge issue within our world. And it's a central issue that James actually tackles within these scriptures right here. And it's so important that you and I as Christians, that we are above how the world acts that we're above that standard. Because as James is going to show us in verse 1, that there is no place in faith or within Christianity for us to have partiality or prejudiceness. There's no place for it. James' first argument is against it because it's inconsistent with faith. And more importantly, it's inconsistent with love. You know, if we are to... Uh, be revealed as Jesus' disciples by the way that we have love for one another? How are we going to reveal that to one another and to the world if we have partiality specifically amongst ourselves within the church? And then how are we supposed to have show love if we have partiality beyond the church walls? Which is even more important because that's when we are more visible to the world. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Why? Why should we not? Well, I mean, I guess there's some very uh, common uh, reasoning for that. Uh, But the main one is because God, as James chapter 2 verse 1 says, that the Lord of glory does not show partiality. God does not show partiality, so his children should not show partiality. How do we know that God doesn't show partiality? Well, look at yourself. (laughs) Look at myself. He loves you and I the same. And if anyone was uh, going to not be favored, it would be you and it would be me. Yet God loves us all equally. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? It was, 
he showed his love equally to everyone by dying on the cross there was no partiality it wasn't based on okay i'm gonna die for the rich or i'm gonna die for the poor or i'm gonna die for the tall i'm gonna die for the short you know it wasn't one or the other it was all and god giving us this example and jesus giving us this, this example is how you and i are to live deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 says for the lord your god is god of gods and lord of lords the great god mighty and awesome who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe in acts chapter 10 verse 34 it says then peter opened his mouth and said in truth i perceive that god shows no partiality so we've covered the basis that god is not partial god loves and he cares for each person equally and you and i are to be the same Remember in this time as James is writing that they were, they were living in a very partial age, uh, maybe even more so than what we live in now. More so in the sense because it was more visible, I guess I would say. Maybe, maybe not more so that they were more prejudiced back then. Uh, it might be the same because the concept and the heart and man is still the same, but it is more visible in the sense that the Jews and the Greeks, they were divided. Right? The rich and the poor, they were divided. The slave and the free, they were divided. Now, obviously, we live in a time where there's a lot of prejudice, there's a lot of partialism, there's a lot of favoritism. And it is visible, and it is there, and it is in our hearts. And that's why James speaks to the very heart of it, and where Christians should not act upon it. A significant aspect of the work of Jesus himself when he came here was that he wanted to break down these walls of separation that divided humanity. He wanted to bring forth one new race of mankind in him. You remember, Jesus was different. Jesus wasn't the one that went and dined with the rich and the wealthy and the famous, right? And that is our heart, that we have this this weird mentality that we place people in a certain pedestal that we have this love and this passion this this desire for celebrities for famous people for rich people people that we have never even met people that we have never had an interaction with and yet we have this obsession over them and where we treat them greater than somebody we would treat if we met them on the street and that's it's a it's weird it's it, it comes from a, a, a heart of idleness. It comes from a heart of uh, selfishness. It comes from us and our desires. And we know what happens when our desires come about as James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. So we have this weird obsession over these celebrities and rich and that's the opposite of how Jesus acted when he came. Remember, he didn't dine with the rich and the famous and the celebrities. Who did he dine with? He dined with sinners and tax collectors. He dined with sinners. The ones who uh, were pushed off to the side. The ones that uh, nobody cared about. The ones that nobody would be running up to to have you know, let me get your autograph. Let me get a picture with you. 
challenge for you and I is, are we showing partiality? And specifically, James is going to challenge the Christians here that within your church, within your assembly, are you showing partiality? And James is going to get very specific here. Let's look in verses 2 through 4. It says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Wow, that's a challenge. That's a challenge specifically for the church here, is what is your motive when it comes to ministry? We've seen far too often in the news and with churches who are kicking out older people, uh, who are kicking out poor people. And the, the reasoning behind that is because it's tainting, as they're putting it, it's tainting their ministry, that they're ministering to people who cannot give, who cannot tithe. And with that, there's a lack of income. And so what they want to do is they want to reach the rich. They want to reach the wealthy. Not because they want to minister to whoever they can minister to, but they want to minister to those for who they can get, which is money. I've seen it with churches here locally. uh, And I'm not naming names or even just, this isn't even a universal statement. I just know of one church locally. And that's one church out of thousands who decided that they do not want anybody who is poor in their congregation, in their ministry. And that's sad. And the heart of that, even though it may not be seen in its totality with one church, the heart of that can be seen sometimes within churches. And that's why James is challenging us. And that goes from leadership all the way way down. You and I, are we showing partiality? Specifically, James challenges us here with the rich because it's, a, it's this idea of uh, what can I get from you? What can I get from you? And far too often that is our heart towards people is that we want things from people. And that is not uh, a good thing. It's not a good foundation to base a relationship off of. Relationships should be based off of what can I give you? Right? What can I give you? Because Jesus even challenges us with that. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And, and I love myself very much, so my neighbor I should love just as much. And that type of love is a giving type of love. It has nothing to do with taking or receiving. It says, if there should come into your assembly or within the church... A man with gold rings and fine apparel, there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit over here in the good place, right? Like, so you get, I don't know, uh, the front row or the good seat, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the thing is with this is that before it even takes action, before we even take the step of, okay, you stand over there and you sit over here, is that we need to check our hearts because that's where it starts. Do our hearts have evil thoughts? As James says, you have become judges with evil thoughts. Because everything that we know that comes from our actions starts with our heart. And James is challenging us. Jesus always challenges us with our hearts. 
What's the intention? What is the motive? What is happening in here? Because this needs to change before our actions change. I need to see people the way that Jesus sees people. I don't just change my actions, I change my heart. Which changes my actions? Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And there's no fairness in that. There's no love in that. With partiality, there's a lack of love. With favoritism, there's a lack of love. With with prejudice, there's a lack of love. With discrimination, there's a lack of love. And if anyone is going to show love in these times, it should be Christians. It should be Christians because we are defined by love because we have the God who loves shows us as we're watching and we're looking and we see people are different that we see the rich man and we see the poor man it just shows us and it makes us more aware and that not that we don't already know this but it's a good reminder that we as humans we tend to too much and far too often look at the appearance of someone or what they can get us more than we look at the heart of the person and God who is far, far beyond us and far greater, does not see the way that we see as men. He sees the way that he sees as God, and he looks at not the outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. God looks at the heart, so you and I should look at the heart. A great example is 1 Samuel chapter 16. You guys know this story of when David is chosen as king, and Samuel was told by the Lord to go to, go to the house of Jesse, and there's going to be some sons there, and, and he's going to choose, and he's going to find the one who is going to be king, the one that God is going to provide, not the one that man is going to provide, like Saul, who has already rejected God and who has already pretty much fallen. So God tells Samuel, look, you need to go find this king, and I will provide myself, the Lord says, a king among his sons, speaking of Jesse. And so Samuel goes, and he, he finds Jesse, and he looks and he sees the son. He says, surely, you know, uh, th- this, is, this is the one that God has chosen and anointed. And the Lord said to Samuel, this is the key verse right here. Do not look at his appearance. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so then Samuel passed over every single son, and eventually he gets through all of them. And Samuel's like, okay, well, he doesn't say this. He's like, okay, I can't find one. There's, is there more? Do you have any more kids? And Jesse's like, yeah, there's one who is keeping the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him to me. Send him, bring him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. So we sent, and he brought him in. And he says, now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one and we see as we read through the scriptures in the old testament the vast difference between saul who was chosen by a man as king of israel and david who was chosen by god as the king of israel there was a huge and vast difference of how they were leaders and how they led the kingdom in their heart towards god we see the destruction in the selfishness and the wickedness of Saul and how it developed over time. 
And then we see David, who, yes, he sinned, and yes, he transgressed the Lord, but his motive in his heart was always for the Lord. And the beautiful thing about, if there is a beautiful thing about his sin, was how he responded to his sin, was how he repented and he turned to the Lord. That doesn't mean that there wasn't consequences to David's sin, but it was beautiful in his repentance towards the Lord, and God used him mightily. And so there's an example for us in 1 Samuel chapter 16 of how we are to look towards the heart and not towards the appearance. And this goes beyond, this concept goes beyond just uh, the rich and the poor. This concept goes way, way beyond that. We tend to look at people and treat people differently if they're new, right? If they're new, if they're not a part of our crew, Uh, We treat them differently. We look at them differently. Uh, Maybe we treat somebody differently because of uh, the way that they talk or maybe the way that they dress or maybe because of the hobbies and the interests that they have or, you know, maybe because of, I I don't know, there's thousands upon thousands of examples. And there's one huge example that I've seen here within our very own youth ministry is that when youth, when they get older, they go through this and, and, and this is not a universal statement. I've seen it with a couple kids. That when they get older, they, they start to despise and look down upon the younger. So here we have this partiality with, with age. With, okay, I'm getting older. I'm 16, 17, 18. And here are these, you know, new 12, 13, 14-year-olds. And I want, I want nothing to do with them because I think I am in a later stage in life and a mature more a more mature stage of life that I want nothing to do with them or they're weird they're young they're like babies it's sad and it hurts because you were shown love as a younger kid by an older kid you were shown love and then here you are not able to show the same type of love you know, it's kind of like the example of when you guys are in high school and you guys are, are freshmen. And some of you have experienced it. Some of these, some of you will experience it uh, because obviously you're not a freshman yet. Um, but for me, I remember as I was going to high school my first year, uh, as a freshman, you were treated differently. And it's kind of just the idea and the concept that is uh, almost worldwide is that the older class... Uh, the senior class, the juniors, the sophomores would treat the freshmen differently just because they were new. You know, we, they, the term fresh meat, right? Uh, you know, they were, they were mistreated, you know? They weren't treated the same. And you went through that experience, and it, and it hurt, and uh, you were shy, and you were intimidated, and you were scared when you first arrived in the first week or so. And I find it so interesting that the moment that we graduate from our freshman year in high school and then we become sophomores, we feel like we've, we've transgressed. Uh, we, we, we've gotten to this place of like, okay, now I'm not the freshman anymore. So then we treat those new incoming freshmen the same way that we were treated, which is not right. There should be love. There should be compassion. And it's this all has to do with having this mentality of partiality. The mentality of partiality that I'm in a higher grade. That because I'm a senior, I can treat freshmen this way or sophomores 
this way. But just a couple months ago, you were in that same position. You were in that same position. Remember, I said this earlier, that in partiality, there is no love. There is no love. And love overcomes partiality. Love overcomes prejudice. Love overcomes favoritism and discrimination. Because look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4-7 through 7 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You look at the definition of what love is, and there is no partiality in that. Imagine if we were actually led by love as Christians and how we would treat people who walk through these doors at church or how we would treat our family members or how we would treat new people or how we would treat younger people or even older people. That there would be no discrimination based on where you come from, what you look like, the type of interests that you have or even what age you are, what gender you are. Imagine the love Imagine uh, the example that we could set forth amongst this world if we can just start with the love that we have for one another. Man's prejudice and favoritism does not line up with God's heart. We see that here. Verses 5 through 7, it says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called. Wow. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Why is that? Does that, is that mean that God doesn't love the rich? No, no, no. This has to do with the idea that it's easier for a man. Uh, it's easy for a man to be partial to the rich, but God isn't partial to them. It has to do with the poor having more opportunities to trust God. To trust God. We already looked in the beginning of James chapter 1 in verse uh, 9 through 11 how it's hard for a rich man to seek the kingdom of God because we trust in our riches too much. (laughs) Whether we're even rich or poor, uh, we just have this concept and this idea that we want to be financially stable and we want to trust in our, on our riches and have a foundation upon that. But look at us now. Look at us in this world now where God has challenged the entire world and millions upon millions are being laid off. Millions upon millions are, are not knowing where their next check is coming from or how they're going to pay their rent or groceries. And what that is doing is that it's challenging every single person who has put their trust and had their foundation upon money, is now they are looking for their trust and their foundation in God. And that's why God says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because our riches are an obstacle, because our riches make us feel comfortable. And those of us who are poor or struggle with finances, all we can do is trust in God. All we can do is turn to God. That's why God says here that he has 
chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. And what happens is that God uses the poor to shame the rich and to humble them. And God, uh, James even goes on to say, uh, you've dishonored the poor man, but don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? He was basically reminding them, uh, these readers here, that the rich often sinned against them because the love of money, remember, the love of money, not just money, is the root of all kinds of evil. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. That the rich here would treat you differently, right? Why would you show favoritism towards them when they don't show that same type of favoritism towards you? This goes back to that weird obsession that we have towards uh, the rich and the celebrities and how, you know, they don't treat us the same way that we treat them. You know, that they don't show the same favoritism that we show them. You hear so often of people who uh, have an obsession with a specific celebrity or person or athlete, a famous person, and how they don't want to meet them because they don't want their perception of them to change because they don't want to meet them and then that celebrity, that famous person, that person that they idolize to mistreat them or, or to shun them or to not even uh, look or glance their way and far often, uh, we, far too often we see that. Now this doesn't mean that rich people can't show love and, and that they're not good with, you know, uh, meeting with people and, and, you know, but the idea is that we don't, they don't have that same obsession. They don't have that same uh, idolization that we have towards them. And that specifically here in this time that the rich, they would not treat uh, those who were favoriting, favoring them uh, the same way. And James challenges them and reminds them that those rich oppress you and they drag you into the courts. They don't treat you the same way. In verses 8 through 9, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, James writes this because he anticipates that his readers here, they might defend their partiality. They might defend it to the rich, defend their partiality to the rich by simply stating and saying, well, I'm loving my neighbor and loving my neighbor is an obedience to the law. But James tells them, look, the problem isn't that you are nice to the rich. The problem is that you show partiality to the rich and you are not nice to the poor man. I mean, how great would it be if we were nice to the rich, but we were also nice to the poor and we did it out of the love of God and not out of the love of what we can get. Again, the problem isn't that we show partiality to the rich. It's that we're not nice to the poor man. It's that we favor the rich over somebody else. Wouldn't it be great if we just favored everyone and that there was no partiality, that we just loved everyone? We cannot state that I'm fulfilling the command to love my neighbor as myself if I don't, if that's not a universal statement, if I'm picking and choosing the neighbor that I want to love. I can't just choose 
who I want to love. Verses 10 through 13, as we close here, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And these verses kind of kill me because uh, we pick and choose uh, the things that we want to obey. We, we have this, as we call it, selective obedience. That, okay, here's the laws and here's the things that God tells me that I should be doing. But I'm going to pick and choose the ones that I think are important or the ones that line up with my way of thinking. And yet all throughout scripture, God challenges our hearts to look how deceitful they are and that we are to be changed by them, by the word of God, that our hearts are to be changed by the word of God. And that sometimes it's going to hurt, it's going to cut, it's going to sting, and it's going to challenge us, and it's going to reveal to us, Jeffrey, you cannot be selective in your obedience. You can't just be following the commands that you want to follow, the ones that are easy, or the ones that, you know, that you just choose. It says if you transgress one law, you transgress the whole law. If you are guilty of one thing, you are guilty of all things beautiful thing is that God has redeemed us God has saved us but we must continue to walk in this law of liberty as James puts it in verse 12 yes it is a law of liberty that there is liberty in it but yet it is still a law that must be obeyed and that will we that we will be judged on yes as Christians we 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 walk in liberty but we're also to still follow and obey the law. That there's two great commandments that we live by. And by us not being obedient to those two commandments, we can start to show partiality. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And then the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus gave a somewhat uh, a two point, you know, one commandment for Christians or a third commandment, if you will, where he says, you as Christians to love each other the way that I have loved you. To love each other the way that I have loved you. And we'll close in verse 13 as James says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We should always show mercy to others by refraining from partiality. The mercy we show will be extended to us again on the day of judgment. And as James puts it, mercy triumphs over judgment. Challenge for you and I is don't play favorites. Don't show partiality, but rather show love, show grace, and show mercy. James relates here in this verse to what Jesus actually said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, where Jesus says, For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's a challenge for you. Continue to show mercy. Show mercy and grace and love above all else. 
don't show partiality. And remember, it starts in the heart because what your actions do stems from what your heart thinks and does and believes. So start with the heart. And I believe that God is challenging you and I, and he's cutting us to the heart right now with this basic principle of not showing partiality. And it needs to start within our homes. It needs to start within our church. And then it needs to spread beyond the church walls.